or what it's like to keep a secret like Micah has, something along the lines of Jon Snow being dead, from the beginning of making a show four years ago. You all are the best and worst friends. You're such good people. Pat yourselves in the back, collectively. But this season has raised almost as many questions as it has given us answers, I feel. Most of what we've seen, as far as I'm aware, is the most important things, the big overarching and juicy, juicy mm. details with juicy characters. And I, 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 I love a well-fleshed-out plot. Um, as much as the next guy. As much as the next guy. That is why, in part, our discussion is talking about the future. That's all there is now. We're still waiting for the winds of winter. Yes, still waiting. Micah, sorry. Yeah. And to all of you, Sully, I'm very sorry. It's a dream. Long, long from now. We have seasons approaching. Who saw the news Yesterday. This is huge. Raise your hands. You know what I'm talking about. Everyone that's in this panel, you saw the news. Game of Thrones will at least run for eight seasons. Can we cheer for that? For the length of our show, we have operated under the notion that this is going to be something that will be put into seven seasons, which creates a good and bad, it's bittersweet, circumstance for us because while it's been fun to go through it with you that listen and while it's been fun to go through it with us who are friends and the way that we've done it and the way that you've done it with reading the books and experiencing the show the end is approaching yeah we're not before the fifth season anymore it's over yeah we're talking about only having two more years of of the show and 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 not only then in in spite of how many books come out three by that time some of the key mysteries, some of the key where things are going is going to be answered by the show. Because the show is yeah. on a production schedule. It's not taking any years off. Right. But it takes years and years to write each of these books. One of the things I'm interested in is for those of you who have read the books, do you feel as if you're going to stop at this point knowing that the show can spoil uh, what you've spent many years reading? <laughs> you can shout if you'd be- like. Because the show is pretty cool, right? <laughs> Everyone say no on three. One, two, three. It, whoa. Oh, I feel it, it faithfully adapts a lot of the more difficult scenes to watch. How would you know? Hmm? Oh. Well, the books we have read, Storm of Swords being one of them, mostly, uh, contained a lot of those really awesome moments, a lot of those hard-to-watch moments, such as the Red Wedding, such as... Yeah, well, I don't know if you noticed, there's actually people walking back and forth on the raptors. Oh, the crap. Raptors, it's a little... Uh, I hope they don't have crossbows. We spared you all or violins. A, a joke when we were crafting uh, today's show. I was thinking to myself, we should totally have the Reigns of Castamere play like midway through. Well, yeah. And like Eric not know about it, and we're just like scaring <laughs> You'd him. You'd be surprised how I can use a chair as a shield. <laughs> <laughs> Something I've had practice with. One time Eric and I had a sword fight. It was real. They were uh, foam swords. Yeah. Yeah, it was dangerous. That was before the podcast, you know. I prefer, to, I prefer to leave the sword fighting, though, to the professionals yes. who, who choreograph, who see. We see yes. it on screen. Well done. And uh, just looking at where we are, though, how I, I'm no closer to understanding how the series will end, except the fact that there are now 10, there are going to be at least 10 more hours of produced television to tell this story <sighs> than we were expecting gives me a good inkling that the next two books, as of yet un- unpublished, will be as detailed as, say, for instance, Storm of Swords, which was split into two seasons. Can we please cheer again that we're going to get ten more hours in an entire new season? Yes! Yes! 
He also said that he hopes they'll go for 10. And he also said, <laughs> right, who wouldn't? Of course he does. Right? They're like, well, this is a wonderful show that we're producing for only $60 million a year. We also are looking at the possibility of diving into things like Dunkin' Egg. Can I get three cheers for Dunkin' the Tall, right? Sir Dunkin' the Tall. Excuse me. My bad. Also for Egg. Egg on. Egg. Yeah. I dreamed I was old. I've always heard, having not read that uh, initially, that, that book three was just sort of the standout book. The right. first two are, are excellent in their own right, but they set up all of the events in book three. And I'd say that's about right. Whose favorite is A Storm of Swords? Storm of Swords, favorite book? Okay. Not as many as we If that's think. not your favorite, yeah. What's your other favorite? Two? Five? You got a five. five. Four? Okay. Four. Six? <laughs> Well, that prologue that's been published. Yeah, that's a good really, prologue, that's a boy. a good prologue. <laughs> I haven't read it yet. I haven't either. Um, we can't. So, we can't. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, we're on a schedule. No, Deadline. it's painful. This is something that we go through. I'm not sure if all of you are aware of this, but part of what we do is experiencing the story along with you guys. So being at this point now where we can talk out loud, not only on a stage in front of all of you in real life, but to the audience at home, on a regular basis, sharing a conversation with two of my best friends about something that we're very passionate about. The fact that Micah can now freely discuss the fact that John was stabbed is a huge deal. And I know that that's zooming in on one point. But for the first time, we can ask Micah, so what's this all about? And he can say, I don't know. And that's the best thing ever because he is and always And actually known. mean it and mean it. He is be always like, uh, known. I don't actually know. What's up with Arya? In the House of Black and White. What's she doing? We saw some of that this season. What's with yes. her going blind? Is that permanent? Is that... Uh? I can't. I have a few I theories, but I'm afraid that they're right. Yeah. <laughs> you know how it is? Yeah, and it's yeah. like... what? It, n- now? Yeah. I mean, the things we saw in season five, it really felt... Actually, I've said this on the podcast. It feels like part one of a part two. They felt like a yeah. lot of subplots, a lot of plot lines with characters ended on cliffhangers. Of course, yeah. A and, lot of them. Yeah. Yeah, and it's been, I mean... A lot more than usual. Yeah. I mean, it's always a progression, progressive story. Well, what was it? Season four ended with Arya on a boat. Yeah, that's not really that's a not really a major You're, cliffhanger. No, but it's inspiring and beautiful. Do you remember that music? That was a great shot. The, so awesome. She was like, oh, I hope I can sneak onto the ship. And he's like, I have a suite booked for you. It was inspiring in different ways, you know, compared to season five. Yeah, certain remnants in season five, really. And then yesterday's announcement that there would be an eighth season kind of confirmed for me that the the producers of this show are just getting started. I mean, season five, we saw, we got a boat ride all through old Valyria. Oh, man. I mean, that's just one of the things that was peppered into the as many as you can possibly muster cast, plot, action, all that stuff that happens in a given season. So all of you that are sullied for the television series and the books, can we just reflect on the fact that during this season, we got to experience something like these two fabled characters that will one day, ages from now, be spoken about in the, in the annals and the histories of, of Westeros and Essos and if Planetos does exist past whatever ongoing threat that is approaching, that they were able to sail together, legendarily, Tyrion Lannister in a boat, Jorah Mormont in a boat through a place like Old Valyria that experienced the doom, that we were able to see that happen in a TV show and that they cared enough to put that in. A thousand years ago, they still make the best blades that could possibly exist. Yeah. It's just, uh, I don't know. 
just thinking about it out loud, like I said, we don't when we're in the hotel or we're traveling to cons, we did a live show for the in Chicago for the finale episode. We don't hang out uh, and and we call it like wasting or spoiling a lot of the conversation. So right now, just getting to say old Valeria to you guys, and old not, Valeria, and it not be a bullet point is is just a is a fun experience, and I yeah. think that. that it translates into what should be our group overall excitement for what is to come because now we are all on the same page, barring a few small things. We are all together. And and the showrunners are not afraid to show us things we've never seen before, even stuff the book readers have never seen before, like the scene with the baby in season four. Yeah. What happened with the baby that was being uh, given, offered up by Craster? And now this season, Hard Home as well. How many of you know what I'm talking about when I say Hard Home? <laughs> Let's just do a cheer for Hard Home. Just in case someone is listening. Since those dogs started barking, I was like, oh, I mean, this, shit. This, this and it. that baby scene, which, of course, are tied together because they both involve these creatures that are far north, the White Walkers, mm. uh, maybe yes. even beyond that, characters like the Night's King. Uh, the name gets thrown around a little bit. This is endgame stuff. These are, these are broad strokes. This is the ice side of the ice and fire equation. Uh, that we're seeing here, and we know a little bit about it. And it's terrifying to have a character such as Jon Snow in the middle of this battle Not where anymore. you're losing... My God. I, I don't know, man. I really don't know about that. He did report for... Hey, work. who's been keeping an eye on our he Jon just, Snow hair he watch? Just, he just can't let go. Oh, well. Can't let, yeah. In all fairness, didn't Charles Dance report for work last year, he did. too? It was he did. for that little scene where he was lying uh, out. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Well, can I just say that Charles Dance is... Ice Stone job was 30 times better than Joffrey's in the previous season, right? Right? Yeah. Yeah. You can put it together for that if you want. Go ahead. Put your fins together. The Night's King and, and that an army who was fighting on your side against these guys can just be killed and then resurrected for the other team. Yeah, I don't even think that that's... That's not even fair. I think that th- that might be inappropriate for us to talk about here. The sheer ridiculousness of their power and the threat that is... It's just, how do we... What has kept them dormant for so long? How do they not? How do they not already own the town? How do they not? Yeah, that's a good question. The wall. Mm. Yeah, the wall, right? Well, it's keeping them out of least. Why is that magic failing? I don't know, but you know something else I thought about too was in the course of about two episodes, the Baratheon family was completely obliterated. <sighs> what are you here for, Micah? You're just bringing everyone down. <laughs> There's still Tom and Baratheon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's unsullied, guys. Come on. <laughs> not that unsullied. Do you have a question, sir? Why not? He was asking if, if we believe that the, the White Walkers were waiting for this long winter and sort of comparing it to the length of the summer that we've had, which is obviously established early on in the story through the books of the show. The old Nan basically brings it to our attention in the show, at least, uh, through her narrative, that with a long summer comes a decidedly long winter. And obviously beginning the series in the way that it began with its opening scene in both the books and the show, we're meant to feel this icy foreboding. And I think the real question is, are they the reason the long winter is coming? Are they coordinated with the long yeah, winter? Yeah, did they wait for the winter or are they causing the winter? And this, these are all implications that feed into exactly what we wanted to talk about today which is there are the small potatoes that are happening what Marjorie's dealing with how Tyrion is going to handle leading Marine with Masande and Grey Worm when at the end of the day the White Walkers are coming to kill everyone everyone they don't discriminate it's hard to wrap your mind around the smaller things uh, where's Loris Tyrell right now 
I'm not sure because an, an army of people killed an army of people and then brought them back to life. Well, and then didn't cross the water to the canoe. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you look at an episode like Hard Home and you realize everything else that's going on yeah. means absolutely nothing. Mm. Do you think the uh, Do you think the Boltons could take the White Walkers because they can't seem to die? Yeah, I think that Ramsey Bolton might be able to take the. Give me twenty good men. I don't know. <laughs> <They're>, <laughs> I got this, Father. I got this. Like honestly, they're, he's he's Theonless now. I know. Can we say Theon now officially? Right, Theon. Eric loves Theon. A little bit. I like that echo. But there there were a lot of Bolton and Baratheon men left out on that field. Yeah. I don't know who's going to clean them up, but if the I White Walkers it. are coming, could be reanimated. Think about there, that. There are so many improperly disposed of bodies uh, that we've seen so throughout true. throughout the so true throughout the show, especially and written about in the books. Oh, the books—they're just littered. They'll be traveling the countryside. And I like, can't imagine what he's talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking specifically of Jamie and Brienne just seeing the devastation of what the War of the Five Kings did to uh, Upper Middle Westeros. And uh, I don't know. It's just that's again. These are all just miniature perspectives inside of this large story where fire is going to meet ice eventually, where whatever mas- magic is blossoming out of the far north and the far east, the things that we don't know about. Who here has seen maps of Planetos? And, and looked far east to places where there are winged men and, and, and gods know what else and wondered how... Yeah, it was like the Hall of the Winged Men. How is labeled this going them? to what happen is that? in seven seasons, let alone eight, and in seven books? Guys, we have a lot to get to, and we're just getting started. And it's a beautiful point, and it's something that I've thought about tons. And luckily, uh, we don't have to directly deal with a lot of the stress because... Uh, we, we like the pacing, and it's, it's, it's good for the flow of our conversation inside of the podcast and connecting with all of you. But I have an insane amount of faith in George R. R. Martin and his storytelling abilities. He is, he is incredibly talented. He's an exceptional human, clearly, and writer and storyteller. He's taken us this far. He's taken us this far. I believe that what we've seen, the fervor for something like A Storm of Swords and the disdain for something like 4 and 5 in certain degrees, how it was much of a build-up and a setup, will be functionally turned on its head when books 6 six and 7 drop. I think that we're going to get two bad-hitting bastards. It's going to be two books that are going to kick our asses, and uh, it's going to be awesome. That's I, I, what I think. I like the idea that there are still places on the map that get referenced, maybe in somebody's backstory, somebody talks about, oh, this happened, you hear another one of Old Nan's stories, and maybe it doesn't come into play. Maybe the best created worlds in literature leave a little bit more to the imagination. Like Harry right. Potter's world, obviously things are still going on there, and the author's writing about it, we're imagining them in our heads. So maybe the Hall of the Wingmen doesn't you know, come into play in the, in the Thrones endgame, yeah. but it exists in this world. And so you know that he would have an answer for it, or you can only, your imagination goes so much wider. They keep widening my imagination in terms of like what ice and fire means, yeah. what the religions are all about, which one is the, the real one, or if they're all elements, because we've <sighs> seen some serious shit. Well, uh, yeah, we have. We have. We have. Um, but, you know, the initial plan from George was to only write three books. Right. So to be at seven now, I mean, I just can't really see it going to eight, but eight seasons, eight books. No, that's eight seasons, please. Ten, okay. Yeah. All right. Let's do 18. Yeah, yeah but, to, but to, uh, to your point, I think the major loose ends will be tied up, but 
maybe some of the other pieces will kind of be left to oh, the imagination. Oh, you mean on the show or in general? No, no, in the book. In the books, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I like the idea that if he set out to write three originally, that he's just enjoys the content so much that he's coming up with that he's like, this is really good stuff. I should write a book about this, and then does. Um, mm. You know, or three more books. Just thinking about White Walkers over breakfast. Like, what's the best mm. way to... Mm. Yeah. Delicious. So you know he has. Then they'll come back to life, and then you kill him again. This is wonderful. We were talking about the overtones and the religion, and I can do nothing but sit here and think to myself, uh, okay, is it real in this world? What's real? What isn't? Like Eric was saying, who's the real God? We've got the mysteries that are happening inside of the House of Black and White, which I think if you dig deep and, and feel inside of yourself, you can kind of, okay, I, I see what's happening here. The fact that a shadow came out of someone's body in the series... Proceeded to murder a king. All right, something's going on that we don't know about. And I really hope that what you said isn't true, that we're not going to get... Because it's going to take some serious... We're going to need an explanation, George. We need to know how that happened. We need to know how a tiny elf child threw fire at a bone guy. Because you've set up a world that is so real in interactions, unlike any fantasy that we've read before, where we, where we become so comfortable in this real-life environment, much like we're all sharing today. And then all of a sudden, someone flies and lands on the stage and blows up and turns into 12 more people and then kills all of us and raises us all from the dead again. That's basically what happened in Hard Home, right? Yeah. A White Walker walked into a shack that was burning, and he doesn't like fire, and he walks right through it like, yeah, it's burning. It's fire. It's cool. What's up? I'm going to kill you and How's your friend. Going? Not right now, though, because he's important. How you doing? It hurts. If I feel so many things when we talk about it. You yeah. know, like, we're, we're finally at the point where we can talk to each other and know that what is next will be I don't know. deciduous in nature. In there I have it. There you go. I said I don't know. I know that you don't know, but that's like, what makes it fun. Like we're, any good series, there's doubt. Enough doubt is cast onto things like the Red Religion. Melisandre's like, uh, oh, it's all smoke and mirrors. Or part of it is smoke and is mirrors. Is it though? Yeah. You know, and, and is it all smoke and mirrors? To what extent? Is there a real power there? I mean, I, I've never been uh, split shoulder to uh, to groin here, but uh, yeah. you know, if My you guys guess. were to not stand you. up and resurrect me on stage, I would not think that that was a parlor trick. Uh, David Blaine. The way <laughs> Sorry, I watched the video last night. <laughs> oh, watching, watching YouTube classics is yes. a uh, great pastime yes, for cons. Yes, yes, but yes, um, yes. what do you think is the uh, in 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 the equation of ice and fire? What what's the answer? Who wins and why? Uh, honestly, I don't know. I mean, I because we we spend so much time discussing what happens throughout the course of the series. I don't think I've ever sat down and thought about what the ultimate end game is going to be. That's yeah, same. I mean, is the world covered in ice, even Essos, which seems to be very nicely warm all the time? What do you guys think? Ice or fire? Everybody thinks fire. <laughs> That's true. If you think this will have a happy well, ending, you haven't been paying attention. What about Shireen, guys? She was burned by fire. Um, oh. it, what about it, Shireen? I mean, I think it depends on the character and what you define as happy. Fellows in the back that are such good gentlemen and uh, friends of ours now, could we show everyone uh, this, this photograph that we took from the set of season six? <laughs> you know, they kill the Lord Commander and everything goes to hell. They start doing whatever they want afterward. That's all. Just wanted to share that with you guys.
Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Grandmaster Pistel's like, oh. <laughs> he doesn't know who to swear filthy to, so he swears to both of them at the same time, and he kills himself out of excitement. You know, I wonder if Wildfire uh, could kill a, a White Walker. That's a good question. I mean, yeah. it kills everything else. Yeah. But not a party, am I right? Can we just put our hands together for what Stannis used to be when he offered what to, he used uh, to Jon Stannis Snow the cool. role of being Jon Stark? How make, yeah. made everyone feel amazing? All right, guys, this has been really fun. We're going to continue talking, but now is, is something that we've been looking forward to for a stretch of time, and we're, we're so thankful to be able to organize this and put this together for you. We will now welcome a man on the stage that is accomplished in many regards, but near and dear to your hearts as the individual who put together things along the lines of the language Khal Drogo speaks to Danny, the Valyrian Tyrion speaks. I'm trying to make a nose joke. Could we kindly, ladies and gentlemen, put our hands, feet, let's stand up. Let's move to the left. <laughs> let's Slide move to, to the right. right. Take it back now, y'all. Now that we've officially moved the crowd in Orlando, Florida, let's welcome David J. Peterson to the stage. Thank the gods. Which is to say hello. Thank you for coming, David. Hello. Hey, man. How's it going? All right. So now you're interviewing us. Okay. What would you like to know about our podcast? Okay. First of all, <laughs> this is what I always wanted to know. When you were young, did you envision that you would be hosting an internet podcast about the television show Game of Thrones? Yes. Yes. Okay. That's, that's kind of what I thought, honestly. Now it's time for our first question for you. You got it. Did you ever think when you were young that you would come out on stage and shout at individuals with a language that you created... You know, the funny thing is, when I was, when I was very young, I, I don't think I ever even thought that somebody could create a language. It's not a thought that ever would have occurred to me um, just on my own. I, I, you know, and I grew up watching Star Trek The Next Generation. Oh, yes. I had, I had no idea that uh, Klingon was a language. Um, and it's bizarre because, you know, I think back now to me as a teenager watching uh, Star Trek and seeing, you know, Worf say things in Klingon, and I just have no memory of what I thought at that point in time. I, like, it's like, I, there's just complete blank. I must have just been watching, like, huh. I'm glad I'm not the only one. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I know. So, uh, yeah, it, it's just as baffling to me now that, that I am here and that I have the job I do. It's really weird. That's awesome, and you've done an excellent job. Thank I can speak you. for everyone right. in this room I mean, that we're all languages, large fans of yours. Languages come together over, uh, collaboratively over centuries of use and, and, and reuse, and... yeah. You've got it. You've got it all covered. Uh, yeah. So this is uh, this was, I think, the the really big aha moment for me because you know both I, I both have been creating languages for fifteen years and then I studied linguistics seriously for um, I guess eight years. And I, I think at the beginning, first of all, it's it's a really it's a really big thing when you first start studying languages and see like, oh wait a minute, languages can do things differently from the languages that you know. And then you see, like, oh, they can do things really differently. And then you start to learn that, you know, languages change over time. 
And you start to look at languages and figure out, oh, that's how that got to be that way. Like, for example, you know, like uh, uh, L-Y makes adverbs in English quick, quickly, and so on and so forth. You know where that comes from? It's really weird. The L-Y comes from the word like. And that's also why you can have adjectives like kingly and knightly that aren't adverbs. That means they came from king-like, knight-like, and then you do something quick-like. Then that's basically, then it got eroded over the centuries, and now we get quickly. So, yeah. Bizarre little things like that, and now that's, uh, that's my day job. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, if you know enough uh, about the evolution of language, you can kind of build an, evolution, an evolutionary system into the languages that you're creating and basically have your own words that, again, evolved over time and sort of character sets and, and, and different tenses and, and things like that. Yeah, and that's basically what I do. It's kind of like playing SimCity, honestly. Or well, Ghost or Tycoon. Yeah, yeah. You know how, like, on SimCity you can turn up the, you can turn up the speed yeah. so that the, the years start to yeah. flow by until yeah. suddenly there's a monster attack? Yeah, well, it's terrible. like, that, that's what I'm doing with my languages, and it's, you can get really, really boring with it, and I could tell you, like, exactly how the future tense evolved in Dothraki, but I won't do that for you. You do have a panel tomorrow. That's actually our There next we go. Question. Yeah, you're going <laughs> and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pound like uh, an entire book's worth of information into about 40 minutes. Season four. <laughs> well, I mean, I would say based on the end of season five, it looks like we'll be pretty busy with season six. Yeah, already am. I, uh, mm. As I, as I told you before, and I can't say much, but I can tell you that I've already done a lot of work on eight of the episodes. Um, wow, for for season six, they're. They are heavily into it. It's, it's already, and I am really excited about a lot of very specific things that, of course, uh, I have officially no knowledge of and can't tell you about. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it just, so it sounds like those people that Danny met uh, <coughs> weren't just going to give her a ride back to Marine. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it. I mean, it, they, were, they were pretty excited, um, but probably not in the way that Daenerys would like. You know, impressive writing skills, though. Beautiful. Oh yeah, oh yeah, beautiful writing yeah. skills. Oh man, that was that was awesome. Again, yeah, I mean, coming coming into that, not knowing or at all about how the book ended or what lies in the future for Danny, I, I thought um, the Tothraki were all but gone on to greener pastures. So did many. Oh, there's fun in store for you. Of course, Valyrian. I mean, even just Marine. You now you have both of them in sort of that whole area of the world, and that's going to be it. Big huts. We got a lot more bigger, a lot more larger characters in that location to experience that language. Yep, yep. In that culture. Uh, I mean, that's that's really all I can, all I can say is just uh, yeah. yep. <laughs> yep. Eric's doing his best, guys. Give it up for Eric. Yeah. <laughs> Woo. You gotta ask a creator to rank their creations. Or, or, do you like which is your which which language do you like working with more, uh, oh. Valyrian or Dothraki of the Game of Thrones universe? Okay. Who of course, have created many other languages. Right, right, right. No, no, no. So um, I, there are, I guess, two different questions here. Which one do I like the most, and which one do I like working with the most? <laughs> and no question, no question, I like working with Dothraki the most. It's um, I've worked with it the longest, first of all. And you know, the like any language, the more you work with it, the better you get with it. And so I feel really comfortable with it uh, and really comfortable translating into it. And it has a larger vocabulary uh, than Valyrian does. So that one, it's just like, you know, like it, I'd, I'd rather translate 20 sentences into Dothraki than five into High Valyrian in particular, because <laughs> High Valyrian is so difficult. It's just, 
it's, a good, it's a good you thing. You did this to yourself, okay? <laughs> I, I know, I know. I, it's, <laughs> but it reminds me about like when I when I very at the very when I very first tr uh, tried to teach myself Latin and was translating into it, and it's just like at every single word you're stopping is like, oh, okay, mm. what what case is that yeah. supposed to be? Okay, Ibi, Ishi, what clenching class? Oculus, yeah. Uh, I think I go. I'm done with college. It's a good thing that most of the people who spoke High Valyrian are all dead. Let's <laughs> <laughs> say that. Now we know why the doom happened. Mm. With, with, a, with a cast uh, that's so robust, what if they all spoke it? And uh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, that's that'd be an interesting question to just for viewers to kind of ask yourself. What if where there there were like an entire long scene that were in just one of the created languages? What would that be like? It'd be an interesting question to ask yourself. I want to know what the process was like in teaching. Oh, teaching? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Amelia Clark does it very well. Those words... Well, the, the Valyrian... I, I actually really am impressed by her high Valyrian delivery. I actually kind of modified the way that I speak high Valyrian after hearing her performance because I was so impressed with just her flow. I thought, I thought it was incredible. So now when I speak it, I'm kind of imitating her, okay. which, is, which is a strange thing. She does excellent with that. Uh, honestly, though... Uh, like with with Jason Momoa, I didn't meet him until after his character was dead. Ugh. <laughs> now we're now we're good friends though. He he's a super <laughs> fun guy. Love that dude. All right. Well, I have a question. Just a small one. Uh, out of all the scenes that we've seen so far, what has been the most entertaining slash fun for you to construct? Like a conversation and this you know this fictional language essentially. With, you know, I feel like there's a cadence and a flow and a rhythm to how they're they're sharing this exchange. And there are so many circumstances in mind that I can draw from. A lot from season one with the Dothraki as well because it's so guttural and fun. But for you, what would be just a good just a good snippet, a slice out of it? I, I suppose there's two different ways to look at it. One is the the scene that I end up liking the most based on what my work in it was and then how how much I liked the scene, you know, on on the show. But uh, to your specific question, though, the scenes that always come to mind are scenes where there are funny language things that happen. Like there's a really cool scene in season one where Jora and and Raharo are talking, and they're essentially code switching in English and Dothraki, which was really really cool. Um, and and then like also uh, the early early scenes for Daenerys where her Dothraki is intentionally ungrammatical, uh, but ungrammatical in the correct way. Those were really fun to construct. Uh, the same with, oh, like... Uh, yeah, like and same, like, with uh, uh, Tyrion's... This is from last season. Uh, Tyrion's little... Uh, my Valyrian is... My Valyrian is a little nostril. Very nostril. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was so That was great. Funny. So, yeah, the, as the language creator, like, those things are fun. I see those, I'm like, ah, oh, yes, yeah. yeah. But, so like... <laughs> As far as like the impact and like the scene I'm proudest of, I don't think, man, I don't think anything is going to top that scene from season three, episode four, where Daenerys reveals that she speaks Valyrian. Yeah. It was just, oh. yeah, that is my mother tongue, right? Dracarys. I I rewatched that probably six or seven times after the initial. We just era. played that as you walked up on stage. <laughs> I was like, this is perfect. We're gonna play Dracarys right now. I love. I'm it. thinking specifically of. Uh, I think it's the end of Two Swords when uh, Dario is speaking to Grey Worm or, and uh, oh, he's yeah. like, oh, or whatever about it. And it's so funny. <laughs> I just think, it, just the flow. I know that it's, it's, it's a word that's, like when he says balls, it's meant to be. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but the way it flowed out of his mouth, it was, it was funny. It was, seemed like a word that would be, you know, hilarious to say, but he's just saying ball. But it just, I mean, it, was, it was partially the delivery, partially the construction, partially the writing. Everything just came yeah, together yeah. to meld into a beautiful thing. So I guess my overall point is, 
uh, I, I believe that, like I said, I speak for everyone when we're just sort of blown away by the, the, the care and the skill and the architecture for, for people to put together a fake story for us on TV is already fascinating. But to go the extra steps beyond and beyond and beyond to create a very Tolkien-esque with, with, with what he's done with language over the years, of which I tried to learn when I was in middle school, <laughs> to create yeah. a fake language, uh, to, to give such a rich background to everything that's happening. And, and it's just, it's a beautiful thing. And I think it deserves quite a large applause. Yeah, and by the way... Just want to say applause to Dave and Dan too, because honestly, I wouldn't have this job if they didn't think it was important. They exactly. were the ones who said, yeah. "Like we need to yeah. do this," exactly. and man, it really, really paid off. Well, here's I th- what I we're going to so do. Too. We've got a few minutes left, and you guys have been fantastic. We put out an ask online to a lot of the listeners and folks in the community, and uh, they've got a few questions for you if you'd be so kind to answer. Uh, most of them want to know what happens in season six. <laughs> so we're just going to get that out of the way. Eric, would you ask him what happens uh, in what, season six? Um, <clears throat> David, uh, what, what, what happens in uh, season six? Okay, so I know that everybody is looking for the big confirmation for, you know, the one question that everybody has in their mind. So, yeah, spoiler alert, there will be a season six. Oh! oh. There you oh. go. Yes. Print it. Put okay. it on Twitter. All right, well, here's the first question from Gatehouse Amy on Watches on the Wall. <clears throat> Can Tyrion make Grey Worm laugh? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you know I don't think so. I, I but he he's gonna try. <laughs> he's gonna try. Can they overcome the language barrier between them. We'll see. We'll see. That's all I'll say. Yeah. Tyrion's a funny guy, though. Can he make Tywin laugh? Another good question. Oh. It's too late for that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> a little late. Uh, this tw- question comes from Petra Halber. Uh, they say, what is the first step to creating language? Is it sentence structure, conjugation patterns, brainstorming vocabulary? What do you do before anything else? Other than watching TNG. Yeah. (laughs) Honestly, with each of those three steps that were mentioned, uh, different language creators will start in different spots. Some will start with a sound system, some with conjugation system, some with uh, just vocabulary, some with just an idea. But I guess the, the very, very, very first step is you have to answer the question of why the heck you're doing this in the first place. So, like, what's the purpose for this language? So, obviously, when it's a language for Game of Thrones, you know, that's, that's the purpose. I've, I've been asked to create it and specifically for this reason. So then it's like, after that, then um, usually the first step is I, I think about it. Um, I, I try to come up with a sound for it because that's the part that's going to be most important to Dave and Dan. And I come up with kind of like just a fake sentence that has words in it, but that don't have any meaning. I record it, I send it to them, and I say, what do you think about this? And then they give me feedback uh, saying like, well, we like this and this, we don't like this and this. And then I adjust it. Once they give it the okay, that's when I go back and really start actually creating the language. That is beautiful. So you feel the flow, essentially. And then you They're oh, talking about the rhythm. Yeah. That is so cool. And critiquing the rhythm of a sentence. That yeah. you that's how people talk, right? Right? Yeah, that was Dothraki. Yeah, that was it. Sort of. All right, uh, Alvarez the Sunstorm. Good old Natalie Emanuel. She is really, she's one of the other ones I've met, and she is really cool. She's, she's honestly a gift for her role because she was the translator. And um, I think before <laughs> before one one came out and did his one line, she had spoken every single language in the series and was the only character to do so. Now she needs to say something in the giant language. Yes, that would be incredible. But um, anyway, so yeah, the answer is no. 
but uh, <laughs> I guess my question is, what was it like writing a sentence for a giant, <laughs> or at least at least a telling off moment for for, for a giant? <laughs> All right, here's a question from Joffrey. How? Yeah, okay. Well, he's no longer with us. This <laughs> isn't actually Joffrey. <laughs> How well built is the language scroth at this point? Oh yeah. I really want to hear the White Walkers talk between them with that crunching ice sound and with subtitles in English. I bet this could happen somehow in the end game when we learn their true motives for invasion. <laughs> yeah, it's for fifteen dollar minimum wage, honestly. <laughs> Poor guys. But um so I, I so the thing was I created like a little sketch of the language for the White Walkers for the first scene of Game of Thrones. Um, and I, you know, I created kind of like a sketch of the grammar, and then I uh, created uh, sentences to, and then I gave, passed them on to, you know, Dave and Dan and the sound guys. And they looked at it, and ultimately they thought, no, this doesn't make sense. And I think I agree with them. I think it would have taken something away from the very first scene if there would have been subtitled speech yes. for the White Walkers as they're you know, cutting off that dude's head. <laughs> um, so honestly, if it, if there comes a point in time in future seasons where the White Walkers do speak, um, I don't know if I would even go back to that. It might be a totally new creation. It really depends on on what Dave and Dan think. Uh, we'd have to totally revisit the issue, but I wouldn't be surprised if there would be, you know, nothing taken from that sketch. You know, some when the series is over, I'll like throw those files online and people can see them. But All right. it's not that much. Not that interesting. Well, it, it sounds kind of cool. It's interesting enough to provoke a question. There you go. Somebody out there is really hoping. I think that we all personally hope that David gets the opportunity to construct Scroth for us. I think we all are looking forward to hearing those crunching sounds and learning what's inside of the head of these people, these figurines, these people. Down I the end of the just stage. want love. <laughs> uh, I, I think that's it, guys. I mean, we're, we're obviously feeling this all together, like I said earlier, and... Clearly, the excitement is building. The news that there's going to be more work is exciting for everyone on the stage. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a beautiful time to be a fan of A Song of Ice and Fire. And it's a beautiful time to be here sharing this experience with everyone. Let's, let's just give it up for ourselves and just, like, have a blast, you know? Yeah. Thank it's you. It's coming. These answers are coming. We will know soon. We want to thank GeekyCon for having us. We want to thank David for coming on. And yeah. I can't wait to see your panel tomorrow. We say thank you, Dothraki. There is no word ah. for thank you, Dothraki. You knew that. Ladies and gentlemen, you thank you that. for coming. I did, I did. We're Game of Thrones. We'll see you on the internet. Bye. Later. Bye.